Welcome to On Your Own Terms. I'm Patty Talbot, and this is the place where we learn together what it takes to change the world on our own terms and in our own special way. Today, as I hope you've come to expect, I have a wonderful changemaker guest with me, and her name is Loy Campbell. Loy is especially important to me because I saw her grow up a little bit. I knew her first as a little girl, the same age as my youngest son, John. And it was fun seeing who she was as a young person through her teens. And then I didn't get to see her for years. And lo and behold, come to find out as a grown up, she is doing quite amazing change making work in the world. I'll let you learn about her work through my interview with her as she shares her own unique homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. What I want you to be on the lookout for is all the different ways in her work life as well as in her personal life and the, the way that she uses her time. She is showing up in a big way to make things better for people at different stages of life and across her rich patchwork of experience. Being raised here in our small college town of Blacksburg, that where our diversity was more international diversity, she as an adult has learned a lot more about issues like racial terror. And she's using her new knowledge to show up in a big way to be a voice for change. I welcome Lloyd today to tell you about her professional work and her developing business as well as the way she uses her personal time to show up to be a voice for change and what is right in the world. This is Loy Campbell. Place you live now, Blacksburg, Virginia, and it's a neat community. I was born and raised there. It's a college town and the, the university is a big, big part of town life. And so it, it makes for a really nice place to grow up. There were always things to do. There were always events at Virginia Tech to help entertain and also educate. And, and it's a very tight-knit community. And I think that's a big part of where I got this sense of wanting to do something that is bigger than myself when it comes to my career and the things that I do outside of work. And that was modeled to me really well by my parents when I was growing up. My mom was a nurse practitioner and she volunteered at the free clinic and she's been working for years and years now on getting a hospice home and in the community and bringing the hospice movement to the community and taking care of people. That's just what she does and what she did when I was growing up. And so I, I learned that from her and my dad is an attorney. And so he worked with community groups to build a low income daycare center that was quality daycare for children and kind of help that community to have the quality that they needed. And in raising their children. And so I learned kind of from both of them how you do your work and you also do your work in the community. And that really set me up for how I wanted to live my life and continue learning. Blacksburg is a community that really values learning. And so staying connected to university towns was really important to me. So now where I live now is in Elon, where there's the university there, and I also work at a hospital that's connected with Duke, and I have other occupational therapy connections at University of North Carolina, so it's 
kind of nice. It's kept me in that mindset with people who are constantly learning. Another aspect that affected me growing up was that my grandparents all lived in town. And so I got to know them. And when I was born, two of my grandparents were in their 50s and my other two grandparents were in their 70s. So I had this generational difference in my grandparents, but I got to know all of them really well. Um, one of them is still alive today and lives just down the street from my parents. Having family members and friends in my church community who were older adults was a big part of how I was raised. And that ultimately caused my interest in working with older adults as my career. So that was a really big influence on me as well. From, it came from my roots. I've noticed that the older I get, the more aware I am of all the problems in the world. A blessing in one way, growing up in Blacksburg, I didn't understand how many problems there are in the world. And so, and then I went to college and I studied sociology and I realized there's a lot of problems in the world. And so I grew up with this foundation that was very, felt very safe and very solid. And then I moved out into the world and realized, wow, there are a lot of things that need people to care about them. The two that I've kind of landed on, at least at this moment in my life, not to say they won't change because who knows, the one that I work on in my career is working with older adults, especially people living with dementia. And so how can we support family caregivers and care partners as they are helping people with dementia to live their lives in the, the best quality that they can and, and continue to engage in their daily activities that they enjoy and that bring meaning to their lives. And so I do that through consulting. I also work in the hospital. And so that's a, a whole nother environment where I, I can work with people with dementia and all kinds of other conditions to try to improve quality of life there. The other issue that's kind of become a big part of my work outside of work, uh, community work, I guess you would say, is racial justice and learning about our history of racial terror in this country and trying to first bring that story into the community because a lot of people, myself included, before I got into this work, don't understand the experience of Black people and other people of color in this country today and also in a historical context of the things that we have done to that community through white supremacy that continues today. So I've worked with a group called Equal Justice Initiative, which is out of Montgomery, Alabama. Some of the listeners may have heard of that if they've seen the movie Just Mercy with Brian Stevenson. Uh, Michael B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson. And um, his work is incredible. But one of the things that they're doing, besides working with people who are unjustly incarcerated, is that they're helping community groups called community remembrance coalitions to bring about this history that is in their community of racial terror. So that includes lynching and other forms of killing of people of color in the community. And so it's the belief that we won't ever change and heal from our history if we don't talk about it. They have some structured projects for communities to help bring about that history. And so I'm a part of a coalition of folks in the community where I live now, Alamance County, North Carolina. 
where we're helping to bring that education to the community. And so I kind of see both of these two focuses, both my work in dementia care and my work in the racial justice community is, is very different, but kind of interlinked. They're both populations that are often ignored by people who aren't a part of them. And they're seen as problems that are not actually affecting groups that are not a part of them. But we know when we do this work that racial injustice actually affects all of us and it makes our country not as good of a place as it could be. And in the same way, ignoring people who have disabilities, be it dementia or some other kinds of disabilities, makes this place not as great of a country as it could be. And so it's our job as people who are outside of those communities to try to make that better. Because if we can do that, then then our communities on a small scale will be better and our country as a, as a whole will be better. So those are the two things that I really spend a lot of my time on these days, but there's so many other issues that we have. Maybe someday I'll, I'll shift and do something different, but that's what I'm working on these days. Yeah. This work kind of fell into my lap. I had a friend who was actually one of the pastors at one of the local churches who said, let's go to this group. And I don't know anything about racial injustice. I don't, uh, but she was a friend and she was telling me to come. And so we went to the group and it was really neat. I got to meet a lot of people there. And, and then I actually read a book. It's a lovely book. It's a really incredible piece of work called The Warmth of Other Suns. It's by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, she recently wrote a book called Cast that has gotten quite a bit of press. It's a book about uh, several people, three different people who are leaving the South during what was called the Great Migration, which is where a lot of Black people left the South from about the 20s to the 60s to escape uh, Jim Crow terror. And most of these people were leaving because if they didn't, they would be lynched. And so they were fleeing for their lives. So you had about six million people leaving the South. And so this book tells the story of a few of them. And a friend had put this book in my hands and I was like, oh, this is this is great. Okay, I'll, I'll read it because a friend wanted me to read it. So I get to page 10 and there's a man that you meet who is working on a citrus grove in central Florida in the 1940s and the citrus grove owners are about to sick a bunch of people on him because he's trying to organize for workers' rights, for black workers' rights. <laughs> and the the book was kind of a gut punch to me because some of my ancestors were citrus grove owners in this same town in central Florida in the 1940s. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, <laughs> these are my people who are a part of this system. Now, whether my family members, my ancestors were that terrible or not, I don't know, but they're still a part of the same system that is causing this kind of strife. And so for me, that really drove it home. I'm like, I have to be a part of this because my ancestors and all of the generational wealth that has come to me is a part of this problem. And so that, that kind of helped me to connect to what the problem is and how all of us as white people are part of the system that we're in. is interesting because it it has a small amount of racial diversity but there's not 
quite as much, at least in the communities that I was a part of growing up, not very much socioeconomic diversity or educational diversity. It was mostly people who were university educated, their parents were professors or other professions. And so I didn't have a lot of that growing up. And then I left, I went to college still not a lot of diversity in the people I was meeting in college. And then when I left college, I moved to California because that's what you do when you're 22 and you're from Virginia, you moved to California. So I, I did that, uh, it was great, it was lovely. I, I spent about five years out there. But my first encounter with, with actual diversity was working at an assisted living because a lot of the care staff there that were my my coworkers were islanders and so from uh, Tonga and Samoa the Philippines and so that was a great experience for me to be able to be among people who were racially and ethnically diverse and really work with them day in day out and then after i moved to north carolina a lot of my work is at the hospital and so of course north carolina central north carolina there's a, a lot more racial diversity at the hospital. Unfortunately, not as much in the therapy department as I wish there was, but definitely among the nursing staff and a lot among our patients as well. And that's where you start seeing some of that racial injustice happening there. You know, our people of color are a bigger population of our patients than they are of the actual population. So you see some of that injustice occurring when you look at our healthcare system and how certain populations are not thriving as much as they should be in the healthcare setting because of the injustice that we have there. So that's been a really neat experience for me to get to know more of a, a racial and ethnic diverse group of people. And also socioeconomically, everyone comes to the hospital. So I meet people who are experiencing homelessness. I meet people who are experiencing addiction. I meet people who are experiencing losses of their limbs and, and paralysis and you name it, any other issue. I'm meeting those people and I'm working with them literally hands-on because they're my patients. And that's been a wonderful experience because that's not something that I got to experience growing up. And so it's made my life a lot richer by being able to see a diversity of people in all the ways that people can be diverse because hospitals just bring that out. And it's helped me in my work with people living with dementia too, to get to see how rich and different people's lives can be in the earlier parts of their lives and then how that affects them later in life and understanding with people with dementia, even if they can't speak for themselves, then I can try to imagine and talk to their family members and try to be more understanding about what their life might've been like. And I think before I worked at the hospital, I really wasn't able to imagine that because I had never met people without health insurance. <laughs> I had never met people without a home. I had never, I didn't really know people who were in some of these difficult situations that a lot of Americans find themselves in. And I, I had never met people who are undocumented, realizing that they are human beings and they're not people that are presented on the news, right? And so it's made my experience a lot richer to be able to know those people as people rather than how they're presented in the world in other ways. Mm -hmm.
people living with dementia and, and their families and other supports, I wish we could really embrace people where they are rather than what we wish they were. I think that's a big part of my work in occupational therapy is trying to figure out you either are going to change something about this person so that they can do something differently or in an improved way, or you're going to realize these are the things I can't change. How am I going to work around that? So that's kind of the analysis that we make when we look at something that's going on with the patient in therapy. It works with my role in dementia care as well. You think about what are, what are the situations and pieces of this that I can change? And what are the pieces that, that I really can't change? And so we have to work around that. What I wish is that everyone would have access to dementia care supports, whatever that looks like for them. So for some people, that's access to a consultant, someone like me who can help them figure out what's their next step or what is a different way we could approach this challenge that's happening with this person and help improve the quality of life for both the person with dementia and the person who's helping them to live their life. And sometimes that means we have someone else coming into the home. And I wish that everyone had access to that other person who can come and help their family or whoever's helping them to have some time of their own. Or sometimes that means having a day center where people can go and have a place to be and that that's affordable. Sometimes that means changing the environment someone lives in and they move to an assisted living. And I wish that was accessible for everyone. And it's currently not because it's not covered by insurance. There's all kinds of different resources out there to make things better. You can't change dementia. It's a chronic progressive terminal illness. I can't change that. You can try with some medications to modify it a little bit, but you're ultimately at this point not going to change that. And hopefully science will advance, but at this point you're not going to change that. But how can we change the ways that we support people with dementia and their families? That's what I would envision. That's what I wish. And so in my small way, through my business, consulting with families and also with other community groups, that's what I'm hoping to help change is that right now we have to use a patchwork like we were talking about of different resources and different ways to help people with dementia and their families to get through this disease because uh, it can be very challenging. I would also dream that the community would be a little more involved in that. Our country at times has a way of putting all the big burdens on nuclear families and kind of getting very small. Well, it's your mother, so now it's your responsibility. And what I wish is that the community would realize that taking care of this person is actually a community effort. And so that's something that I, I hope to expand in my business is helping communities. I, I have a big focus on faith communities because I think that's a great place to start is faith communities because they already have this framework of taking care of each other in faith communities, and they do that very well. But dementia is one of those things that people have good intentions, but they don't really have the skills that they need to help take care of each other. So that's why I chose that as a big focus of my business is helping faith communities to learn how can I support this person with dementia and their primary caregiver and maybe everyone else in the faith community can see each other as secondary caregivers, can 
how can the faith community do that and support people? And then you can move that beyond that to be anyone in any part of that community, be it the person at the grocery store or the person at the police department or the person anywhere who's going to encounter that person with dementia. How can they be part of the community that's supporting that person and their caregiver? My wish for the future would be that our whole healthcare system would change. And I'm not sure I can change that, but I vote. So maybe that helps. Stevenson from the Equal Justice Initiative. I love so many things about him. He is incredibly brave. He is incredibly inspiring in the way that he is able to speak to people and explain difficult and hard situations in a way that's understandable and meaningful. But something that he always says is that you have to get proximal to the problem. And I try to remember that when I feel like this problem is too big for me. I can't, I can't make any changes. I can't do He's always encouraging people. You have to get proximal meaning in order to understand in, in his work, people who are incarcerated, you have to actually go to the prison and get close to people who are incarcerated or people who are formerly incarcerated. Right which is another way that I'm lucky because at the hospital, we have people who are incarcerated who come to the hospitals. That's a population I never would get to interact with. And so I'm just, I'm lucky every time I get to work with a patient who's incarcerated, I learn a little something from them about our system and also about humanity, right? And that in the end, we're all people and we all need care. And and so I think that's one of the biggest things that I have learned from him that I try to keep in mind when, when the work is challenging, we have to get proximal to the problem. That means proximal, he either says the problem or the people, something like that, and get proximal. And so, so in whatever, whatever way you can do that, that's what I wish for communities, right, is that instead of being uncomfortable with people with dementia or being uncomfortable with racial justice, just show up. Sometimes people with dementia say things that make us uncomfortable, but it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. And so that's how we can learn from that. And then we can keep learning. And that's the first step is showing up. And I think a lot of people don't show up because they're uncomfortable. It's definitely true in the racial justice space. A lot of people, white people are afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And so they just don't show up at all. And instead of showing up and making mistakes and asking for forgiveness, and, and that's how we do that, that racial justice work together. So it, it, it applies to every kind of change that you're trying to make. You, you just have to get proximal and that's really hard. touch with me is through my website so it's campbellcareconsultants.com and there's a contact me part or if you want to make an appointment there's a book an appointment part and there's also a pop-up that'll come on the website where you can sign up for my newsletter which is every couple of months not not terribly often but 
just kind of an update about things that I'm working on or any resources or articles or things that, of interest that have crossed my path in the last couple of months. I'll put out another newsletter here sometime soon and, and hopefully include this interview. So yes, any kind of things that I'm up to, that's a great way to, to keep in touch with me or just send me a message through the website or my email is loy at campbellcareconsultants.com. So a faith community or any other kind of community group that wants to work with me, absolutely. There's a form on there. So just let me know. Thank you so much, Loy. Your work is inspiring me. And as someone who has had loved ones who've experienced, of course, the aging process and some exposure to folks suffering with dementia, I so appreciate what you're doing professionally to make a difference and reach out and help people that are often misunderstood to be better understood and to help their caregivers as well. I'm also really appreciative of the things that you've raised around the issues related to racism and racial terror in our country. This is an important and timely issue for all of us, and it's time that we take responsibility for our history and make sure that we do not let political forces <laughs> during this time try to whitewash our history. I hope you'll do as Loy suggests and become aware of the Equal Justice Initiative and Brian Stevenson's work in the world. I also hope that you will follow Loy Campbell's work and get in touch with her at CampbellCareConsultants.com if you or someone you know is in need of support around aging and dementia care. She's your person. I hope you'll also follow my work at blueroadseducation.org. I am the founder of Changemaker U, Y-O-U, short for Changemaker University, because you can be a changemaker too. It's not automatic. We're not changemakers just by living and breathing and walking around. We have to do it on purpose. We have to do it with purpose. And that's why you may have noticed that last week as I signed off, I added a little something extra to my closing blessing. Because a couple of weeks ago, at the end of our show, some of us were having a conversation around powerful numbers and how often it's more powerful, more meaningful, somehow just seems right and more alignment when we work in threes and fives and sevens instead of even numbers. And it brought me to the realization that I something I've been chewing on for quite some time because I've shared with you my Changemaker framework around beingness, doingness, connectedness, and reflectiveness, those homegrown solutions for a patchwork world, right? But I'm also aware that there's a, a fifth ness in my model, and that ness is the overarching consciousness. Because we are all being things and doing things and connecting in our ways, some of us are more reflective than others, but it's only when we're intentionally reflective and conscious of our decisions and our work in the world and the potential for the difference we can make that we really become change makers. So next week, we will feature another powerful woman making the world better on her own terms. And in the meantime, may you be grounded in your beingness, guided in your doingness, generous in your connectedness, and inspired in your reflectiveness so you can consciously change the world on your own terms. I'm Patty Talbot. I'm always learning, and I know you are too. Mm -hmm.
Thank you.